Lab Talk with Laura. Listen, I implore ya. Won't never bore ya. Lab Talk with Laura. Always more in store ya. Lab Talk with Laura. Welcome to the 21st episode of Lab Talk with Laura. My guests today are Igor Lezhansky and Edwin Morenzi. Um, Igor uh, has his master's degree from UMass Amherst in the chemical engineering department. He's originally from Eden Prairie, Minnesota. He um, will be starting his PhD at WashU in St. Louis, Missouri. Is it St. Louis or St. Louis? I think it's St. Louis. St. Louis, okay. Um, in materials <laughs> science and engineering, and he's currently working at the Langer Lab at MIT, where he develops and tests implantable insulin secreting devices to treat diabetes. Uh, thank you for joining us, Igor. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. My other guest today is Edwin Morenzi. He is originally from Wanda. He has his master's degree in molecular and cellular biology from UMass, and now he's working on his PhD in the same department. And his research looks at the effects of environmental neurotoxins on mammals, specifically pesticides. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for joining us, Edwin. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Also joining us, my co-host today is comedian Gabe Sklan. He's a student at Hampshire College and the organizer of the stand-up club there. He's originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Thanks for joining us, Gabe. Thank you. I have a clarifying question. Uh-huh. Um, so you're also a scientist. So is it just my job to make sure that everyone dumbs it down? Yeah, a little a bit. I try, <laughs> truthfully, sure I'm a scientist, but I don't study the same things as them. So mm. there's a good possibility I know just as little about what they're going to talk about the as you. We'll all be dumbed one down. One of the biggest okay. trainings in, in our ability to talk to the layman about what you do mm. on the <laughs> elevator pitch so Very true. yes we're going to need you to check us and let us know. all right um cool so maybe let's start with igor sounds good okay um so igor <laughs> could you maybe tell us a little bit about what what you do in your lab uh yeah so i work for like a subgroup of dr langer's lab that studies diabetes uh and we make like different devices different types of materials uh a lot of them are based on alginate uh, because it's very useful for implanting stuff into the body because it's not it doesn't interact with the the cells uh, with the body's immune system that much so it's like invisible uh, at least more so than like more kind of you know sophisticated materials okay it comes so from seaweed alginate oh okay yeah, yeah i was gonna that, ask for some yeah. more details about <laughs> alginate i was actually gonna ask yeah. why have i i feel like i've heard of langer lab like i feel like it maybe is like a famous I, why yeah, could i've heard of it it, it it just it is because it's like um i don't know I, it, it is it is famous for and some is, does reason. it mainly focus on <laughs> medicine yeah it focuses on biomedicine biotechnology mm -hmm. he was originally like a chemical i shouldn't be talking about Langer so much but he was originally a chemical engineer uh, and he, I mean, he still is a chemical engineer, and he kind of pioneered using chemical engineering t principles and uh, in the use of implantable, especially implantable mm. uh, materials, so that cells can grow on them, and so that they can, because those materials are made of polymers, which is a central focus of chemical engineering, they can slowly degrade and release a certain drug like slowly over time yeah the the only implant like that i've like heard of or interacted with is like the the birth control arm implant right uh, right yeah i i think uh along the same now what do you I, mean by you've interacted with it i just i, <laughs> I well actually it's, i i have i have a friend who has one and okay. and they make me touch it what does it yeah, feel like it, it feels like a like a little rod like under their bicep it's like uh, those fuses that are in like uh little like um 
you know, like the car plug things you have. It it does it does it's like a tiny fuse, yeah it like does vial thing right. Oh, but you can yeah, really yeah. only really feel the tube part from from my, from my experience. I, I I wasn't really digging around. Is it a lifelong yeah. implant? <laughs> I, I think it might be five years. I'm not sure. I am not the expert on you don't implants. You like, go gas up and, like, refuel or anything. I think you might need to get a new one at a certain point. Okay. okay. <laughs> I think they have a limited load in there of a uh, hormone. <laughs> it's not a no lifetime supply. But, so know, uh, like, I'm wondering what, like, slowly. what challenges are you facing right now? Uh, we're just trying to, like, come up with something that's, like, the perfect solution for <laughs> diabetes uh, because it needs to have, like, everything. It needs to be just, like... Just you take, you go in, like you get, like when you have diabetes, like the pancreas doesn't work so well. Just so it basically just needs to replace the pancreas. So it has to do like everything that the, it has to be implantable, like one shot. It has to be removable if anything goes wrong. It has to be like invisible to the immune system so that it doesn't um, get crusted up with immune stuff and that prevents the insulin from coming in and out and the mm -hmm. glucose and mm -hmm. stuff from diffusing, which it needs to know how much glucose there is around it for it yeah. to respond. So it has to like self-regulate. Yeah. So and you have to it, yeah. build this in some way that it that it isn't yeah. like a like a machine, isn't like a robot. It can be a robot. Some people are working on robot type stuff. We're working on transplanting uh, a, um, a human pluripotent stem cell derived artificial pancreas cells uh -huh. uh, and by encapsulating them in alginate and they'll just kind of know the amount of glucose that's around their environment because it can just seep in through the alginate and they'll kind of release insulin. So it's like a really interesting idea versus like the kind of a robot idea, which is, I'm pretty sure there are tons of people working on that as well. Mm -hmm. So is this implant gonna be like the both types of diabetes, type one or type two, or which one? Like it's um, the release of insulin, I think, right? I think type one more because right. um, type two is, I think it represents like I don't actually. I'm not an expert on diabetes. It's like a slower deterioration. Yeah, that's um, cool. Cause, cause like, yeah, that you have to. There's two types. I mean, and pesticides play a huge role in in diabetes as well. Oh. But like, type oh. two diabetes is a resistance and ignorance to insulin. Mm. So type oh, right. one kind of overly inundated. It just doesn't yeah. recognize yeah. your. Yeah. It, there's an insulin uh -oh. resistance, so a machine that's releasing insulin would be useless in a yeah. person with type two diabetes. But that sounds what like you're a talking bigger about problem. is really cool. It's because yeah. these people who, ha who can't produce enough insulin because they're glucose insensitive, right? Uh. This is also incredibly interesting that the person making. Uh, an implant for diabetes treatment doesn't have to like have all the information about yeah <laughs> yeah there's there's too much to know though like you can either be an expert on like the material mm. and like the properties of the material or an expert on how to kind of take care of the cells once they've been genetically modified mm. to become more like pancreas cells mm. or be the expert that like it, you know tries to genetically modify them with different uh you know biochemical signals and mm. stuff so there's there's just so much to know and there's no one person can kind of be aware of like all the details that come out of it. So there's just really intense specialization. Yeah. Well, right. and then but it also really intense, interdisciplinary. Like, sub, sub right. It produces for yeah. a lot of collaborations yeah. for people you would never cross paths with. Mm -hmm. A chemical right. engineer, software engineer, you know, like right. all that stuff is really yeah. cool. Which is why I, think I love bio, that field. Biotechnology is so cool, especially yeah. like the Langer Lab because it has a lot of different um, like people, different uh, specializations, like yeah. you said, yeah. they come yeah, together yeah. and there and there's like material scientists and chemical engineers and you know bio engineers and plain biologists and everyone that collaborates to kind of produce 
this like so you guys device. like holding giant meetings where everybody talks about what they're uh the, they're giant to this project giant basically? meetings of like maybe five or ten phd people like there's like a lot there's like maybe 30 phds working in the lab or mm -hmm. something and plus we collaborate with like other other labs um like uh the actual lab that developed that synthetic pancreas uh cell cluster called a an islet mm -hmm. is um from harvard and they like we kind of get uh, uh, those artificial pancreas cell clusters every couple of weeks to like play around with an experiment with and implant with. So mm. we just kind of drive over there and collect them and then drive back and implant them <laughs> into mice or something or, you know, encapsulate them and then implant them. Mm. So it's like very interdisciplinary. Was that part of your job yeah. going over to Harvard to get that the pancreas yeah, that cells? Would, yeah, everyone rotate. Well, oh, the okay. research techs rotate. Yeah. So the, the underlings do that. Yeah. Oh. Can you explain yeah. like um, pluripotent stem cells? Because I think it's really cool. Like you glazed oh. over it, but like yeah, it's, I, it's <laughs> just the idea of them is actually pretty they're, brilliant. They're, um, there's been so much research on them. That what they do is uh, like there used to be this the only way to get stem cells was to get them from an embryo, and that was obviously very controversial. So they, uh, there was more research done, and they eventually were able to take the, hu take human stem cells, uh, I mean adult stem cells, and bring them back to the kind of more infant-like stage of cells, uh, and then give them other signals to make them go into any of the lineages. Like you can, like, um, just simply by knowing how the body develops, uh, starting from the three different like layers that are in an embryo, uh, the like the germ layers, I think they're mm -hmm, called. Mm -hmm. uh, you can, like, every cell that ends up there follows one of, is from one of those layers. So you you kind of um, mimic the signals that the body, that the cells in that part of the body receive, to develop from when they're just like a a mass of cells in the uterus to like uh, an adult or like and uh, labs like yeah. yours have figured out a way to manipulate them and trick them to become islet right. cells or like right. pancreatic cells you know exactly yeah, yeah that's wild that's yeah. really cool like stem cell and research is yeah. unreal and especially with like the onset of like CRISPR and stuff and what yeah. you can do with that that's like unbelievable um, people can you can genetically modify a living basically a living fetus of a pig to produce a human pancreas inside it wow. while it lives. Gross. So when you take the pancreas <laughs> out, it's a, it's a human <laughs> pancreas. You don't have to deal with like wow. organ rejection or denial. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. You can literally have is, one animal's DNA CRISPR inside is mind-blowing. I might like need towards, a whole new podcast for this one. Is that towards doing... Um, a pancreatic like would you like substitute somebody's pancreas or right. is that to make insulin if you want like Ooh. transplant someone or if you want to say like i have diabetes my pancreas is producing insulin but it's resistant to it so how can i produce insulin that is completely for me uh. that i can inject myself and use right so when you make the new insult when you make the new pancreas inside the pig do you have to inject the crispr like right when it's a fetus so that it develops a human pancreas or can you before the pancreas is developed right yeah. okay but okay. crispr is so wow. mind-blowing that you can like literally anyone and again, I don't suggest you try this at home, but <laughs> anyone can get this kit and do it to themselves. There's people wow. right now can, who are injecting themselves with CRISPR to like edit their oh, muscle yeah. just to, or all that stuff. I heard about just that. To, that. Just was to break John this Oliver down for the listener, but, I know what CRISPR is, but yeah, my understanding is that it's, it's Photoshop for genes. Yes. Right? So, so you, look at, uh, you can look at genetic code and like mix and match 
And if you know what you're doing, you can change the way uh, 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 cells will develop. It's even more specific than Photoshop. It's basically a word processor in Microsoft okay. Word. <laughs> you can go into Microsoft Word. Like before when we had the typewriter, you had to white out and stuff. Now with Microsoft Word, you can literally change every single character without affecting wow. the whole document. Mm -hmm. That is what CRISPR is, right? Does it have track changes? It basically. <laughs> you can figure no. out. Or undo. No. <laughs> but like it will genetically go in. It, CRISPR will go in with an enzyme and it will go to a specific area and cut. Like our wow. gene editing right now is not that specific. And like the problem with a lot of gene editing is that there's so many side effects that we don't know because our genes are, you know, our whole our whole bodies are connected. Like our, our DNA is connected. Right. And just we because you know. cut something out, you don't really know what that we is going to do. We don't know everything so, that it's right. doing. But with yeah. CRISPR, it's so specific that we're confident that we can at least control a lot of that. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering how much racists like CRISPR. <laughs> like eugenics people? Yeah. Oh, oh eugenics. that's another huge oh, thing totally. for sure. Because like yeah. also if you get pregnant and you find out your kid has a certain defect, right? Like that's another thing. Like a lot of people yeah. right now with defects, like people with learning disabilities who think they're okay, they're, just ha mm. they're normal humans and they would never change it. A lot of people are now talking about the fact that like, if you yeah. find out you had a kid with Down syndrome, yeah. Would you have that kid or would you go in before that kid was born and make them quote unquote normal? The question is, uh, what is normal, right? Ooh. There's this whole like eugenic discussion. Be, that's oh, happening. That'll totally be a service in the future. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It has already started if you think about it. It's oh, true. Man. But I know that like the deaf community, the blind community, the right. autism spectrum community, they don't want you to do this because they don't right. want to be made to feel right. disabled. Right. 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 But, their, but their parents before they're born might want to do that. Yeah. Too. But uh, it's just a it's just a question of like. Uh, are you delegitimizing the life that this person would live? Yeah, it's right. like and, a weird and, question to ask. Right. I'm like, a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> I think a Star Trek maybe saw this coming. <laughs> I mean, to yeah, make him our, better. our generation mm -hmm. of scientists, and, and I mean everybody, our generation is going to have to ask some really serious questions about that. Is there. So, um, genetic engineering, <laughs> well, so, uh, diabetes. So yeah, I'm curious about your lab. So it's a pretty big lab. Yeah, I think it, it happens to be like, like really well known because of just I think I don't know exactly what the history of it is, but it's just really big. Uh, yeah. He has a Wikipedia article. Well, so yeah, I think um, I wouldn't traditionally think of like chemical engineering and polymer yeah. science as a medical right, field. Yeah. And so I'm curious, like, how long is the history of that collaboration? I, I think it, I think it was like I, I think they've always had like implantable materials. Like there's like you know prostheses and stuff. Oh, but when yeah. it comes to like like surviving under the body without like you know just growing a huge tumor or something around the implant or you know uh having some sort of allergic reaction i think they had to they had to develop a like sterile sterility first mm, of all which yeah. kind of wasn't until like the last hundred years and then they had to um find i think some sort of molecule that at the molecular level like the biochemical level didn't interfere with the body's natural function so the body thought it was like just another outside of a cell like you know just they saw, they saw the surface and i was like this is just a cell or just some tissue it's not and a foreign object so i'm going to ignore it and i don't think that people i think that's only since like the 70s that i heard about that um is, i, I is don't this think what the alginate helps with yeah the alginate is like one of these there's like a lot of different materials that are like alginate and happens to be a natural material but there's a few different materials that are like really useful for implanting um, like alginate, uh, poly there's like some that are just well known. They're like different polymers. They all begin with poly something, like polycaprolactone, poly, uh, polyacrylamide, and stuff like that. 
Um, they're just like there's they're, they all happen to be a lot of them are hydrogels, which means they're like kind of soft, like mostly water, but they're just filled with. Uh, they're just like the the at the molecular level, they're like ninety percent water, and they're just like the framework of the polymer, and most they're mostly they're very water absorbent and soft, so that it's very similar to tissue, mm. at least in a from like a mechanical point of view, like from a just kind of overall bulk point of view, and then the the new the kind of the bigger challenge now is figuring out how to develop the mo mole molecular patterning on the outside of the tissue, so that when cells when immune cells touch it, they recognize it as just a part of the body. So it has to be a specific molecular signature almost like a, they like literally build the molecules piece by piece. Like they test, they have like these battery, these, these um, libraries of different uh, uh, types of coatings. And they're all like separated from each other by like one or two molecules, like one or two atoms. So they're like the same, but they just like, does this functional group make it better? Or if we're moving this functional group, make it better. Mm. And they just do hundreds of tests where they basically implant, um, a mold uh, a plant like a small drop of this stuff with the different coatings under the skin of like mice and and then take them out like a few weeks later and see how much they've they how much crust they have on them basically how much which is called fibrosis like uh. how much uh how much the body has like covered them up with collagen and stuff to prevent them mm. from like poisoning the, because they think mm -hmm. it's poison obviously or they think everything that's not a, a part of the body is bad so right the cells have to like kind of you know um watch out for that i think the first the first kind of thing that i the first big application of that i think was in the 70s or 80s it was like developing um vascularization of uh i think regenerated muscle so that uh like when people got muscle transplants like after having like some traumatic accident or something where they had to graft more muscle onto there they would uh, the muscles wouldn't survive unless there was a lot of blood vessels flowing through there as well so they i think dr langer and some other people were involved in uh like kind of developing this polymer that uh slowly that helped like form a base for the uh for the uh, cells to kind of grow onto and vascularize the wow. muscle i might i might be wrong about yeah. i might be mixing two things together <clears throat> but it was it's something along those lines and there was like something another kind of um a drug that was developed along the same line, another kind of treatment that was developed along the same lines using kind of degradable polymers where they put it into tumors to slowly release anti-tumor anti, uh, drugs, oh. uh, chemotherapeutic drugs to okay, yeah. kind of dissolve the tumor so they like don't have to feed it through the mouth, but it can mm -hmm. stay there and kind of you don't have to come back and get an injection every few hours. You can just kind of implanted there for a while and it should slowly kind of kill the tumor yeah and um, focus on this yeah and right everything. yeah yeah, yeah. Oh. so there's wow. yeah so there's been a, a few different kinds of applications and i think that's one of the uh, the, the grow the growing blood vessels especially like mm. to kind of rebuild tissue like blood vessels muscles like the whole deal like you know put um put it all together uh and the pancreas is just like one thing now it's just like it, we're not even develop, we're not even rebuilding the whole pan we're not even rebuilding all of islets islets themselves are made of like five different kinds of cells and a whole complex like mixture of stuff on the, that they grow on the outside of them to keep the stick together to, to each other because they don't work as a unit like one cell doesn't like it does they have to work together to have to exchange like calcium or whatever to like kind of have a flow of of uh, they, like I guess information through the cells so mm -hmm. that they know what the general glucose you know um, 
uh, a concentration is so that they can kind of work together. And we only have one of those cells and in w and only one of the components and not the overall pan. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, uh, I haven't seen like a, uh, uh, notwithstanding what Edwin said, a fully regrown human pancreas no. that's just like implanted mm -hmm. uh, with all the blood vessels and all the little components that make it work together and make it uh, make it compatible with uh, that's cell, why pancreatic cancer is one of the most terminal cancers. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's really hard to transplant. It's really hard to. It's really hard to fix. Yeah. yeah. I heard a story how like Ashton Kutcher, um, when he played Steve Jobs in the movie, mm -hmm. uh, he like went on the same weird like fruit and nut diet that Steve Jobs went on and started and just to like kind of get in the role and he started to develop pancreas problems as well. Oh my god. Oh, according to his doctor. Oh I didn't wow. know yeah. that that was yeah, was that so. his diet You heard it here yeah. first. Stay away from fruit and nuts. <laughs> <laughs> if you're eating fruit and nuts right now put them down. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. Oh no. I, think, I don't know how that stuff works. <laughs> I'm just trying to spread the word Laura. <laughs> I'm eating fruit right now, <laughs> so I'm stressed out. I brought it for you. It's safe. I'm a scientist. <laughs> That's actually a human pancreas. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so I'm trying uh, to get a better view of, like, what you do in a day in the lab. Uh, Sometimes you're driving <laughs> to go get the islets. Yeah, there's there's some of that. A lot of it is uh, making these capsules that we're testing. Alginate is really interesting because when you dissolve, it comes as like this powder or like this kind of just very light powder or light fibers. And when you <coughs> dissolve it in water, it forms like it get the water obviously gets thicker because you're dissolving mm. stuff in it. Wait, do people use this in cooking? Uh, <laughs> you, I think it's edible. I think you could use it in cooking. So it becomes kind of like a jelly. Okay. Uh, it's like, like that. Gel gelatin actually is sort of something kind of like alginate in that same sense mm -hmm. that you, it also comes from a natural source and it dissolves in water and you can make like thick stuff out of it. Mm. Alginate has like different kinds of as like a different, I don't know, viscosity profile, I guess, like versus temperature and other things. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting because it's a gel at like at, at normal temperature, like at normal concentration. Uh, but when you, you can basically, as soon as it touches calcium or any sort of ion in another solution, like another part of the water, it instantly solidifies because of the, the calcium kind of, the calcium crosslinks with some of the functional groups in the alginate and it, for, and it forms like a tight, like network mm -hmm. so the calcium and or it can be another kind of like anything like calcium magnesium or something like that uh and so it's interesting because you can take droplets of alginate mm -hmm. and like from a pipette or something and just drop them into a bucket of water that has like a little bit of calcium dissolved in it and it just becomes a solid like drop like a like a solid like kind of squishy sort of capsule but oh. it like solidifies instantly so it's really cool for it's really it's really convenient to manufacture this kind of a device for or I guess you could call it a device. It has like cells encapsulated in it, cells kind of frozen inside it too, mm. or immobilized inside it, I should say. Um, and what I a lot of what I do is like making these devices with different uh, with those with like different um, types of cells and different materials, different types of alginate like um, we mi we sometimes mix the alginate with other things to give it other functionality mm, to different flavors it, different flavors yeah different different te like we got we always have the plain alginate as a control and then mm. we have like strawberry alginate. yeah <laughs> can you yeah. eat it i'm really trying I, to get i've there. eaten some i probably shouldn't say that <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it's Langer's bad. gonna come track you down and beat you with his walking stick <laughs> i shouldn't say that he has a walking stick oh uh, he's spry he's spry <laughs> 
<laughs> You're eating uh, my alternate on my lab's time. It's really expensive too. They like purify it and everything. I feel bad eating it. It's like they what have to go through a process with like all these different solvents. They can't just get the they can't just get raw seaweed and just dissolve it in acid. They have I to can't like, believe that you haven't told us what it tastes like. <laughs> it's just it tastes like plain. It's just nothing. It's just because it's really really pure. I was just like, wonder what mm. this tastes like. It's kind of chewy, I guess, because I guess that makes sense. Because if you dissolve, it kind of becomes like viscous. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it's just plain. I don't know. It, does, it doesn't even have the seaweed flavor anymore. I don't think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm leaving. That was <laughs> this is all I came for. I was so excited to find yeah. out if I could eat alginate. And it would be yeah. I mean, we got we have like many different diet. kinds. Yeah. I mean, we've got like we've got like powder that comes in like a can. We have like sterile stuff. We've got like all different varieties of mm -hmm. alginate. So I've only eaten one of them though. I should test them all just to see. I think the less Start refined. Start a YouTube channel. This is what we do in our labs. <laughs> the less refined. There's lots of edible lab stuff. So. so <laughs> Edwin, what do you eat in your lab? Oh, you don't want to even get started. <laughs> have you tried crispering yourself? Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. Although we have these caffeine pills um, oh, in our lab that, like, uh, you know, and you have, like, pure glucose. You have all these things that, like, you can find over the counter. Nootropics. just like, oh, no, it's yeah. got a label on it, so it must be toxic. It's like, I never know. Like I don't know, like, what the difference is. I know that, like, I would almost always rather have, like, food-grade glucose to use in experiments because I trust that it's more pure than, like, lab stuff because I feel oh. like there's, like, a higher regulatory burden for anything that's quote-unquote food-grade. Well, I think you know? food-grade doesn't have to be 100% pure. That, oh, that's true. That's true. Right. It can have, like, other stuff in yeah, it. But it can't have, like, it, right. poisons in it. Right. Like, or, some, or some chemical that's but like, like that But, like, lab-grade glucose is literally just a chemical. It's yeah. just glucose. Plus, like, whatever they used, caffeine. whatever, like, what is, solvents they used to process it on the way, I what guess. What is glucose? Is that a polymer? No. No. I'm well, just it's, I'm like a, it's a sugar. It's just like it's a sugar. It's a sugar. It's a sugar. Yeah. That's all I know. the most basic sugar structure? Yeah. yeah. Just yes. sugar. So sucrose and starch, those are the polymers of the glucose molecule. I think, oh, I think okay. glucose those is are the like, more complicated. It's the versions. monomer that makes oh, okay. up a lot of those. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like a very basic. So I think it's like evolutionarily basic because even bacteria always use glucose for their metabolism. Yeah. And it's the like simplest the, form yeah, of sugar. And all the other ones are like different, very like different polymers for storage, storing it long term and stuff. Cool. Well, I think um, we've been chatting for a while, but uh, it might be a good time to move on and talk to Edwin. But I want to give you a chance to like bring up anything about your research or maybe the research you'll be doing that hasn't come up. Um, oh, any any dates coming up? Any uh, shows? You want to <laughs> Um, we're, we're working on, uh, um, 3D printing, like, these devices. So. What material do you guys print? Plastic or metal right now? What are you Alginate. <laughs> I mean, it's I, all okay, alginate. okay, that 3D makes sense. Then. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, it, there, but there's, like, all these different things that we're trying, and, um, what's really cool is that we can get, like, sophisticated shapes that are, like, molded to the shape of the body, uh, and I, we're, we're trying to get it to work. I think we'll. I think we'll have some like little success. Like we'll have like an incremental success over time. Uh, so and, then a, I'll, and then I'll steal the idea and do it for my you, own PhD. You're three D printing the capsules around the machine that's going to be releasing this insulin. Uh, yeah, we're th we're three D printing the we're three D printing essentially instead of dissolving the cells in the liquid alginate and then dropping it drop by drop into little to solidify it into capsules. We're dissolving, the, we're not dissolving, we're suspending the cell, like we're not destroying them, we're suspending them in this liquid uh, that basically comes out and solidifies in the shape that we want so that oh. you can like, 
you know make any sort of custom shape that or that has like a good geometry that fits into the body or something mm -hmm. and like we can use different materials and stuff hopefully to kind of get a good good frame a good solid frame that don't break apart or whatever but yeah one of the my, my main project was like developing something that would make them more easily retrievable while not still necessarily being in one piece oh, so, so that's another yeah. really t difficult yeah. part of the problem is right. retrieving them yeah because yeah. like if they're not working you yeah. want to get them out of there or yeah or if there's or if they there's some sort of infection or something. I guess I was thinking know. of them as like really tiny dispersed throughout the body yeah. type things. They, they, but yeah, they that would, makes they it harder yeah. to get yeah, them back. Right, yeah. Too. I I know from working with, with mice by doing them in the mice. It gets it gets gory, but they're oh they're all they're in they're all up in there. <laughs> no <laughs> mice yeah. were harmed in the recording of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, just before yeah. and after. <laughs> before and, after. Yeah. <laughs> and remotely. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, it's so, all really cool stuff. Yeah, um, it's cool stuff. It's yeah, thanks for telling us about it. Yeah. <laughs> Are uh, we ready to shift gears? Yeah, maybe? I think. Yeah, I think Edwin. Sweet. Edwin does some sort of biology-related yeah. thing as well. Yeah, it sounds I like it. Maybe. <laughs> You're listening to Lab Talk with Laura on 91.1 FM WMUA Amherst. My guests today are Igor Lezhansky and Edwin Morenzi. My co-host is Gabe Sklan. Jumping right back into it. Well, yeah, I've been working um, in this lab for the last six years now. But um, basically, we're an environmental toxicology lab. Uh, I work for John Clark. He's actually the, the director of the Massachusetts Pesticide Analysis Lab. So every golf course, every farm, every um, public space that uses pest control has to be um, basically um, certified by us. Also, what's really cool is if any company thinks they have a new over-the-counter pesticide that they think is cool, we're the ones that have to come through to, to, to get it tested, basically, because oh. we're also the only lab in the world that's managed to grow um, insects on an artificial rearing system as opposed to, as opposed to us. Um, so yeah, as, oppo as opposed to really what? Long. As opposed to, to yourself. Like the, the the key in entomology is you've never you're not a true entomologist until your insect has either infected you or, or fed on you. What are you in your in yourself? You mean in yourselves? What? <laughs> like I said, this is going to so be confused. a long conversation. Wait, so Wait, you so have you, a technique for the insects to do so, to do what? Yeah. Do so you, do you inject first of all, with disclaimer: this is not my research. It just okay. happens to be research that happens in my lab, and because I work in my lab, I have to learn how to control and to handle insects. We are an entomology lab as well, mm -hmm. okay. so um, we have lice and bed bugs. And the reason why we study them is because they reproduce so quickly that they're always a few steps ahead of us, evolutionarily speaking, in terms of um, if we have a pesticide that we think is going to kill them, there's going to be so many lice reproducing that there's a chance a mutation is going to exist that's going to confer resistance to whatever we're giving them. Okay. Right? So we have mm -hmm. to stay a step ahead of them. The only way to do that is to maintain colonies in which we can test them and see if we can like, challenge the resistances they have. Um, and so the idea is that you've you've made these colonies without getting them getting the lice on your head. <laughs> Correct. That's hopefully okay. that's the idea. Okay. Um, but we also like we know this is relatively new speaking, like probably 10, 15 years that we've had this artificial rearing system. Basically, it's just a bunch of reptilian um, heat plates that keep the blood that we have mm. at body temperature. You grow them in blood. Uh, stay with me. Uh, so we have we have human blood expired. Don't go calling the Red Cross saying they're wasting blood. Expired blood from the Red Cross. We pay oh, for it, and that's how wow. the NGO of the Red Cross makes money. Is that just for sale? 
You Whoa. can get it, but you have to like go through so many certificates. <laughs> I have a costume I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say this: my my bank statement looks very very vampirish. Wait, so the so the Red Cross so the Red Cross gives out free fresh blood, but it makes people pay for for expired blood. Yes, <laughs> yes, it. because okay. you can't no, really, that's good. You can't really infuse yeah. a person with expired blood, no, but okay. it's still viable for yeah. a lot of research okay. reasons. Okay. Um, for those so we pay for that, um, and we basically you place them in a conical vial with a little magnet on them and the magnet spins so that the blood doesn't coagulate mm -hmm. and you put it on this hot plate that basically keeps it at body temperature and we stretch parafilm I don't know how many non-scientists know what parafilm is it's, it's like basically wrap. like saran wrap in a lab it helps seal things and we stretch that long enough to mimic skin and the bugs go on top of that they mm -hmm. feel the heat then they feed right so are they mosquitoes no they're li they're lice so they're blood wait, so you insects. farm lice my boss hates that title because we do research with it. We're not oh, oh, lice sorry. farmers. I'm sorry. But yes, sorry. yes, we have three you colonies. You husband lice. We do. Okay. We maintain <laughs> three colonies of lice and bed bugs. Did you say husband? <laughs> it's like husbandry. husbandry. It's lice husbandry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the kicker though, going back to growing them on yourself, is that um, there's two types of lice. There's head lice, there's body lice. Body mm. lice are much bigger because they stay on your clothes and they take a single feed every couple of hours so they have larger guts to carry that mm -hmm. um, they're genetically slightly different from head lice which are always in your hair they don't need large guts they're always feeding oh. to get body lice it's very easy for us because we basically we go and we have an organization we have we have a association that works with homeless people and one of the things we do is I we pay was going. we pay homeless people um, to take their crabs to take their clothes. You take, we you give take them their... fresh clothes. We give them uh, upwards oh, of a hundred dollars. That's a win-win. We give them a, yeah. a, a free meal, yeah. shower. That's really Whenever fascinating. I bring this out, but like, do you tell them that they're they know are what it's for? for yeah, we're just like we just want the lice off your clothes. Do you ask them if they have lice, or do you just you assume see. they do? You can see. You can see. Like the packages we get are like just loaded. Do you try? Do you also like? help them treat any lice that they might still have in their body? Yes, yes, yes. We clean them up completely and oh. they actually, we, they, we work through this organization that works with them. Right? Yeah. But, so we get these clothes and we have to go in lab and unwrap these clothes <laughs> that wow. have been shipped to us in heat, right? Like, you just open these clothes and it like literally knocks you on your feet and yeah. you have to like pick the lice out. But those are body lice, so we just throw them. So what happens is for lice to survive on our artificial system, you lose about 80% of them. Mm -hmm. Right, so just breaking them only the, the strongest survive. Right, so like okay. if you have a homeless person's clothes, if you have body lice, it's a lot. You can sacrifice eighty percent and still get lice. Mm -hmm. The kicker oh. comes with head lice, right? Because we don't collect head lice off people. We collect nits. We collect the eggs because you oh. don't necessarily want oh. to whatever they've been feeding on to affect you. So like mm -hmm. you get the eggs, you hatch them, and then because you only hatch ten or fifteen, losing eighty percent of that your colony is not going to survive. Mm. So what we do is we raise them on ourselves until they get to a number that we're willing to throw onto the membranes and we can lose about 80% without losing uh, the genetic variants of the colony. Wait, did you say you grow them on yourselves? Mm -hmm. you, you have guys, head lice right now. You give yourself uh, no, head no, lice? No, 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 I haven't okay. done that in, I did it once and I did it for six months. You volunteer? I did, or? it's all volunteer, yes. Oh my no God. hat shopping for six months. No, no, so. I did not put them in my hair. I put them on, you put them on a controlled, um, um, basically a controlled 
thingamajiggy. Uh, it's like uh, uh, the top of a conical vial. You cut a hole in it, you turn it upside down, you gauze patch it down, and you tape it down. They can't escape. They only so fit it's on just the same area. Did you put it on oh, your yeah. leg? It looks like so you're saying. So you wear, you, wear, so you wore stories. a conical vial for six months. The cap with, of it. Yeah. The cap of it I to did, grow. Was it on your leg? It looked like yeah. you were motioning it. It looked like I had like a tumor on my leg. So were they... Could they like crawl out of the the thing and crawl no, onto your no, skin? No, no. So what okay. happened? I wish I had the conical valve. We like if you imagine a cap, right? Mm -hmm. We flip the cap upside down, right? We put a wire mesh, a gauze patch on the back, so basically they can get aerated, but they can't escape. Then we cut a hole at the top of the cap, and we put a wire mesh on top uh -huh. of that. And that's what we tape down on our skin, so they can wow. only feed through that wire mesh. Right. They can't go anywhere else. Wow. Yeah. yeah is there any um, medical risk to you? No. With doing the, that? the biggest thing is you probably just uh, incur allergies towards them. Uh -huh. Like the, the saliva they use to the, bite. Like, like aggravation stuff, like, of having yeah, them bite. Yeah, but like for so. me, because I lotion, hashtag <laughs> cocoa butter, uh, <laughs> I lotion, my skin's really healthy, so it doesn't, it didn't really affect me. It did oh. not really affect me. So have and, you gotten bitten? Uh, have I been bitten by the ones that raised on me? For sure, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, you get you, that was the whole so idea. Like, six months. They didn't bite him once. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like a disclaimer, I'm oh. also I'm also black, so um, wait, a lot wait, of the so white people in my lab did not lotion, right? So they would break mm -hmm. out uh, immediately. They would be itchy. They would like really be uncomfortable, and I'd be like, just use some cocoa butter. Literally, it will like it will like just make it so much better. Okay, so the point is they feed on your skin, though, right? They always do. Yes, 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 okay, yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. Yes, yes, yes. So okay. you, so you're their food basically. So for, for like six months. months. Okay. Don't eat Got fruit. It. Don't eat nuts. Do use cocoa butter lotion. <laughs> yes, the yes. To take sure. away. I, 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 I endorse that message. Point. I endorse wow. that message. Wow, that's like you really love your science. Um, like yeah. like, when I say I've given blood, sweat, and tears, <laughs> I have. And that the kicker is my research, my dissertation, my masters was not entomology. What I actually do is I work to see the effects of the same pesticides, but on the flip side, what do they do to mammalian brains, right? So the EPA has forever regulated uh, these pesticides on the effect they have on adult brains, mature adult brains, and have mm. just assumed that that should be the benchmark. Mm. Oh. What we know now, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, is that the targets for these chemicals, what is known as voltage-gated sodium channels, um, I okay. might throw that into our acronym <laughs> game. Um, it's basically, too late. you just told me what it was. Uh, I forgot the, immediately, the but you told me. Action potential. So, like, if you touch a hot plate, you don't have to think about it, right? You remove it away, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea is that there's electrical signals that are going from your fingers to your brain and allowing uh, you to move your muscles, right? So that is driven by voltage-gated sodium channels, basically. Okay. So what happens is when you are poisoned by a pesticide, and even when you see it on insects, what happens is they they suffer two types depending on the pyrethroids. It can either be tremors or choreathetotic salivation but like let's just call it tremors for now for this the, the 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 point of this podcast so they they keep the sodium channels open what that does is it allows you to keep taking in sodium the action potential doesn't come to rest so you just twitch and basically tremors cause are caused by the fact that your sodium channels are not naturally closing because these chemicals are, are attaching to them and keeping them open so does that happen to humans and yep. stuff? When they so what's really cool is that the sodium channel is highly conserved across species. 
basically a slight change in an amino acid, but like we basically have the same sodium channels oh, as other insects. other mammals mm. or, or even mm. insects. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's why like Drosophila work and insect work is really good for what we do because you know the targets are highly conserved across species. So oh. it behooves us to understand exactly how they affect us. Yeah. Anyways, as we grow older, these channels that drive the communications in our body, they change as we grow older. As our brain develops, they're different isoforms. So like it's a different chapter of the same book right and basically they change as they grow older and therefore it's dumb for us to just regulate on adults because we know for a fact a one-year-old child a two-year-old child expresses a different type of this channel yeah by the time they turn 18 it's a completely different channel so it behooves us to understand how they work separately in different age groups and that's what my research is i look at different age rat brains the equivalent of a one-year-old child and a full-grown adult, basically. And then I, I take those brains and I inject them into frog eggs, trick the frog eggs and taking those brains and incorporating it into their membranes. And then I do electrophysiology. I manipulate those channels and I study what these chemicals do to them. Wait, so the rat brains affect the frog eggs? No, the rat brains... The frog eggs are basically empty uteruses. They have all the mechanics to support oh. life, but they don't because they're not fertilized. So you take, so we trick them. So you take DNA from protein. The- What's really cool about what I do is we take full proteins that are taken out from the brain. Usually, the, the historically pesticide work has been studied on um, heterologous expression, which is basically you take the RNA of one channel and you study just that RNA. But that's not how it works in our bodies. These channels are cross-talking with so many other things. So what we've done is we've gotten a new system in which we sacrifice the rat and take the brain already formed with the proteins the way they are and express oh. that in frog eggs. So okay, so I know I said gross before. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack know, about what know, you just I know, said. I know, no, I know. I know. <laughs> and you, you study it so it all just like flows for you. But um, I want to like go back because like the thing about the tremors. Yes. So you were saying like that's a voltage driven. Can you say that again? A voltage sensitive sodium channel. Okay, that's what when you touch something hot. You automatically... um, Yes. So that's just our auto system. Like, you don't have to think about it. Your heart's beating right now. You don't have to think about it. But even the things you think about, they're driven by electrical signals. Okay. And the the major driving force of an action potential, basically the signal that makes you respond to a, a change in electrical signals is the voltage-gated sodium channel. Okay. But so we're talking about the nervous other. system. Yes. Right. Okay. The nervous just, system, just, right. just breaking <laughs> right. it down to, again, stupidest person in the world. Yes, so, yes, so yes, then, yes, the nervous so system. So then I'm like, so when somebody's having a tremor, is it like their body thinks they're like touching something hot or am I missing? No, I'm if somebody's having a tremor, saying. it's because their body think their body is being, their sodium channels are being forced open. Okay. So that response can come from anything, okay. right? The response so of like, a tremor can come. as if it's having some sort of sensory experience, but it's not. Right, in which like your muscles just keep firing because okay. they just can't shut off, yeah. right? And what pesticides do to insects, if you've ever seen a pesticide-treated place, insects twitch to death, oh. mm. right? And like po- uh, poisonous people, like farmers who've had... Uh, pyrethroid poisoning that's one of the biggest symptoms they wow. just they can't control okay. their tremors because their sodium channels are super active wow. hyperactive instead of coming to rest and does, wow. does is it that that kills you or is yeah it... the death results from the fact that you exhaust all the <gasps> sodium that's going through to make it a response so like oh your God. heart stops beating all your muscles fail because they twitch to extinction basically mm-hmm. they just wow. stop they has just... anyone ever died from like just a 
huge like an accidental dose of like like too much pesticide over time no you can, there's a an antidote i forget its name and it's gonna kill me that i don't remember it but Atropine. um yes thank you that was wow. what they that was what they Atropine, gave the, the, the people DDT, the people right. in um in england that got poisoned by the russian the, the nerve agent right so atropine is the opposite what it does is it blocks sodium channels right oh. so if you're poisoned by a chemical or pesticide that's keeping it open, you put atropine at select doses, right, to outcompete oh. these other chemicals, and they shut off your sodium wow. channels, giving them a chance in your muscles, a chance to reset and recover, right? Wow. Um, I do not know, and I cannot speak factly, but I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if there's been death because of pesticides. Oh. But, for example, DDT, right? DDT is one of the most famous pesticides in the world. They, it basically won the Second World War for the Allies, right? Because they sprayed a lot of places in Italy and the soldiers were not getting trench fever anymore or malaria and they were able to live longer just by that. And wow. also what people didn't realize, if you've read Rachel Carson's book, is that DDT had a, um, a metabolite. Basically what we broke DDT down into, into the environment, would cause eggshell thinning. So like a lot of birds would be dying and no one had any reason because there was no mammalian toxicity. They're like, what could be killing these things? We won oh, World War that, II, though. Is so that silent spring that, was, that, was, that, that you're referencing? Yes, silent spring, okay, right. Yeah. So DDT was banned in the 70s because we knew that they had these adverse environmental effects. Not DDT itself, but all the metabolites that came from it. Uh. However, it's such a good and such a um, prominent pesticide that we all have DDT and DDE in our system. You know, I all think of, it's so surprising. <laughs> like, who would have thought that poison could kill us? <laughs> right. Who would have thought that, po yeah, that poison could hurt us? Like, DDT is the perfect example a of like human poison. ingenuity <laughs> even better than they thought, right? Like, they created this chemical that's like mind-blowingly efficient, but also stays yeah. so long in the environment, we can't break it down, and it has all these other adverse effects, right? Yeah. But ironically, in developing worlds like my country, the WHO has not banned the use of DDT. DDT is still being used. So, like, that's what's crazy. That's why, like, I'm in pesticide research because I'm like, hey, I mean, just because we're the poor Africans doesn't mean, like, we should be getting sprayed this chemical that you've banned since the 70s. Oh, my God. Do, really? they, have a, do they have, a, like, <laughs> a better substitute for DDT that is, like... Pyrethroid insecticides, mm -hmm. what I work on. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So okay. they're a naturally occurring botanical source. They come from chrysanthemum and flowers. Oh. Um, but, and do, pretty. but do some of them also cause like tremors or whatever? They have the same mode of action, okay. but they're much lower levels of toxicity, okay. right? So oh. like mammalian, I'm not here telling people like to give up pesticides. As a matter of fact, as an African, I'm talking to the advantages of pesticides. Pesticides have revolutionized our agriculture. I just think we need to do better at understanding them. My job is not to ban them. I don't yeah. think so. I just think we need to do a better job at producing them and understanding what they do. Okay, so... Okay, now I understand <laughs> the first like few words that you said, <laughs> and so now you take the rat brains at different ages, yeah. And so that's getting at this issue of like we've regulated for adults only, yeah. And then you put them in frog eggs, yeah. Okay, Xenopus oocytes. Xenopus are the South African clawed frog, amazing animal. They're so easy to use, and their their eggs are single cells, but they're visible to the naked eye. That's what makes them remarkable, so right? Are, are they like, do you wait for them to like grow up into frogs or are they like chicken eggs and you never wait for them to grow into? Yeah, into no, we never, we're not okay. fertilizing the eggs okay. to grow. So okay. we're using it as like uh, an incubator. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we're tricking it into taking our cells and making mm -hmm. it think that it's their own. Oh, right. and so then it grows more of those proteins? Frog. Right. Okay. Right. So it incorporates, frog. it doesn't grow them. It oh, we're okay. giving it proteins. It takes those proteins 
and just puts it into its membranes. Like, okay. oh, I recognize these kind of proteins. I'm gonna just put them where I think they should and be. And then you can, and, and then, then what do you do with them? Then we pierce them okay. with electrodes and we, we, we depolarize the cell. So basically because these are voltage sensitive channels, so basically they are sensitive to changes in voltage, we change voltage opening and closing them and then treat them with these chemicals to understand basically what's happening. So you use uh, frog eggs to sort out the proteins so that you can just study them more closely. Yes, As that is actually the best way of putting it. Okay, the most layman way of putting it. Because yeah. otherwise, it would, like it would be difficult to extract proteins from a from a, a rat brain using any other. Right, uh, and also to to manipulate um, the rat brain with the electrodes the way we do, because they're needles that are pretty significant size. But because these eggs are so big and they're mm. single cells, right? You can do this. Um, but it's the easiest way because doing it in a rat brain is just a completely different animal. Are we it's talking like pea size, marble size? Um, of the eggs? B BB? Uh, I would say the size of basically the tip of a pen. Oh, okay. So like... Still small. Yeah, like a ball so it's, you can see pen. it okay. at, with your naked eye. So somewhere between barely. 0.9 and 0.5 millimeters. I know about ballpoint pens. Okay. Uh, okay. That's, that's something I know <laughs> Thank about. You. Thank you. Thank you. We're starting another podcast about ballpoint pens. This is my game here. This is perfect. <laughs> But yes, so I, I, I basically, micro, it's called microtransplantation. You transplant these proteins into this frog egg and then you study the proteins within the frog egg, right? Mm. What makes my mechanism more, um, I guess, more reflective of what's actually happening in vivo, in true life, is that when you inject them, what we used to do with RNA, you rely on the protein mechanics of the frog egg to produce this protein. Uh, right, and you can't really necessarily speak to the different isoforms. It's just one isoform. So where when, does the, sorry, to interrupt, where does the where does the uh, um, pesticide come in? Do you just give the? Do you just put some? Do you just put sprinkle some pesticide into the solution? Basically, the we uh, we have this. We have the eggs in these uh, ninety six well plates, and we have these tubes running through. And basically, we perfuse so a, a controlled okay. volume over uh -huh. a given controlled amount of time of this chemical. Wow, so you make like hybrid frog egg. They're like rat, they're like, they're like mostly frog egg with like all the same kind of membrane things in them except for the voltage gated ion channels. Yeah. Those, yeah. Are, those are not. They frog. have their those own, but they're, frogs. They're, they're, the, frog, the frogs have their own in, uh, endogenous channels, but the signals those channels produce is way less than what you produce when you inject them with our proteins. Wow. When you like induce them with our protein, so that's um, that's basically the, what's really cool about the frog egg system. So what are you finding? Did the pesticides stop the stop the voltage gated ion channels from working? Um, they definitely work. I mean, we, the question is not if they're affecting the channels. The question is how do they affect different ages, right? And like at w what intensity? Uh, okay. um, and what we're finding is yes, the juvenile brains, the younger brains, are more sensitive than the adult brains, which is kind of like duh, right? No brainer. Mm -hmm. um, but statistically speaking, which is another thing about science, like we see the trend, we see the difference, but with all of our statistical methods at hand, we cannot conclusively say that there's this, the, the difference is statistically significant. And are, are you mainly mm -hmm. looking for how, like, I'm wondering now how uh, a brain affected by this, uh, like a young brain affected by this would develop differently. Right, and we don't really know the chronic effects of these chemicals. Um, they've, it, pesticides have been implicated across the board between Alzheimer's, autism, you know, um, autoimmune diseases, neurodegenerative diseases. There's like all these implications of it, but no one truly knows because it's a long-term study. Mm -hmm. What I will say is that 
you know, they're lipophilic compounds. So what that means is they would rather be in your fat cells than in the blood or the liquid system of your body. So when you ingest a pesticide, it's going to stay in your cells as opposed to be excreted out, most likely, right? right? And that's why we all still possess DDT and DDE, forms of it in our system, even though we never really ate it. Because once it's there, it just stays, right? Um, do they do they have the potential to affect development for yes. like a, in a baby, a human baby, or a a, fra a rat baby? Yes, 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 totally. So um, have you are there have there been experiments done with like like infant rats where they give them? A hundred percent. There's been symptomological uh, studies too. They're mo much more sensitive. That's not what I focus on, so I can't truly speak to it. But yes, I do know for a fact they can have developmental issues. Um, but again, I want to also um, make clear that the, chem the concentrations we're using to elicit these effects are extremely high, and you literally have to chug a bottle of pesticide mm. to be exposed to this mm. amount, mm. which makes the chronic exposure question even more important. Yeah. Like, just because I'm not taking that much today, if I took it over my lifetime and it collected, what does that mean? And yeah. we honestly don't in, know. In their that. favor, too much of anything could be bad, though. Right. You could eat too much salt. As so a toxicologist, might, that's very might, true. Might not be. You could, eat, you could die from too much salt first. So the water we no. Yeah, yeah, Could. for sure. But like, don't, don't, don't give up on pesticides yet. Not yet. But just be smart. Read the label. Understand. <laughs> What's really cool though now, especially working on my dissertation, is we've actually figured out. Um, I figured out that you can use cadaver human brains and do the same experiments I'm doing, which is like my final chapter, which will be a really cool paper. But basically. NIH has what they call the neurobiobank plug, um, <laughs> and it's basically if you show them your research and you show them what you intend to use the brains for, so everybody who's on, who's on organ donor on their license, just listen hey, uh, up, that's me. Um, I am too, but if you donate your brain um, to research, it goes to the neurobiobank at the National Institute of Health, and any scientist can apply to get the brain cells mm. that they want for free. You just have to justify the reason, and when you publish, you have to um, basically show your appreciation to them, right? Give them a reference. But basically, what I did is. Do you get is your name, or is it just generic, like organ donors? In general? Oh, no. It's you a whole thing. You can get your thing. name cited in the scientific paper if you donate? Uh, no, oh, no, not no, the no, 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 not the donor. No, not uh. the donor. The neurobiobank. Uh. Um, what I do get, though. <laughs> I was hoping for a post mortem I no, shout out there. I don't want to okay, vet nice. what, I, what my brain was used for research on. I'd only want it to use for, like, super cool, like, sexy research. Like, uh. some particular, like, not saying that pesticides aren't sexy, but. But, so I was. Able to apply, and they sent me um, samples of. I, I know his demographics. I don't know his name, but Aww. I know he's a male. His accident was accidental, and his his he was dead for about 21 hours before they got to his brain and stored it. Which postmortem, like mm -hmm. that, seems impossible in what I do. That you can reuse those cells. Like if a brain's dead for 20 hours it, it seems like nothing should be reclaimable oh. but i took this guy's brain thank you and i was able to incorporate <laughs> it into frog eggs and it was able to give me results which oh. is really exciting like it's huge for me so um so i've taken it from insect to mammal to human and so you're the first person to do that I, if we publish this, I believe we'd be the first person to actually show our studies in actual human brain cells. Wow. Well, I, I don't want to cut this conversation short, but we are uh, approaching the end of the show. Okay. Is there anything you want to talk about about your lab or your research that hasn't come up uh, before we move on to the last segment of the show? More than anything, I've learned that the skills I'm learning 
of what's going to be really important for me going forward. Not necessarily like I'm not going to cure frog cancer. I'm not going to mm. stop the use of pesticides anytime soon. Like mm -hmm. that's not the goal of what I do. It's a, the goal of, of learning and learning these skills. Right. That's a really um, good like human trait is just to be able to like manage your expectations. Yeah. So oh I yeah. Science <laughs> does a really good job for you. Yeah. Science will humble, will humble you every yeah. really single sweet. time. But yeah, I mean, I think also neurotoxicology is really cool. Like where I want to go with my research is looking at neurodegenerative diseases. I, I said this at the top of the show. One of my best friends has ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And, you know, one of the things that I really focused on once he got diagnosed is like, how do I use what I'm doing now to at least learn more about his, his disease and his diagnosis? And, mm. you know, I think the work I do in terms of studying voltage-gated sodium channels and like the ner nervous system will, will translate really well over that. Okay, I think we're ready to move on to the last segment of the show, which is a little game that I created called GTA. Guess that acronym. And uh, the way this game works is that our guests are going to provide Gabe with some acronyms, and he's going to try to figure out what they mean. Okay. Um, and just start do with I get okay. any hints, or do uh, I just get the letters? Um, well, you, yeah, your hint is who's telling you the acronym. Okay, fair enough. GSIS. Oh, man. Uh General Systems Internal Service. Uh, like the postal mm, service of mm, your inside? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, <laughs> yeah. wow. GSIS. Uh, should I say what the acronym stands for or give more hints? Uh, or should I, I could go for it. Would, I would do another we, hint. I don't know how this game it, works. Uh, it's, uh, some of the letters stand for stuff like we've, we've definitely Yeah, like worked. what would the G stand for? Okay, uh, now you're ooh, really trying to make ooh. me feel stupid. No, that's a hint. I'm that's my hint. I'm remembering uh, glucose. a that's right. Uh, uh, glucose. Oh, Jesus Christ. You're I actually don't know what this acronym okay. is. Glucose sensitive uh, like, insulin. Suppressant. Pretty good. Pretty good. Secretion. Uh, glucose stimulated insulin secretion. Oh, oh wow. we got there. Incredible. Sort of. Got there. Nice. Um, IVGTT. Oh, IVGTT. Oh, <laughs> I'm going. Can I, I don't, I normally just let the guests. Go um, ahead, please. Okay. I'm going to be slow at this game. I'm going, <laughs> Ivy is intravenous. Uh, that's right. Okay. Wow. Uh, oh, I'm making these too, I'm making these too Okay. I'm we were talking about. IV or intravenous? IV. Okay. IVG. IVGTT. Do you want to take I got over? nothing. I think it stands for intravenous, actually. Wait, do you, you not know what the acronym is? I actually don't know if it's intravenous, intravenous or in vivo, but it's pretty much the same. Trans I G D D what I V G T T. Yeah, I had to write it down too. Uh, Glucono transferring technician. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> <laughs> You're the I V G T T. <laughs> uh, it's another. It's like another test. Uh, intravenous glucose tolerance test. It's ah. where you like. It's where you give them like a fake pancreas, a substitute pancreas, and you inject the mouse or someone with a chunk with just pure glucose right into their bloodstream mm -hmm. and uh -huh. see if they can tell you know see if they don't like get hyperglycemia really right away okay you see so if the thing works if it responds it, yeah. and gives it insulin. you do you like give them an injection and then you you take one of those like diabetes blood monitor like the blood monitors mm -hmm. that people use to prick their fingers and you do that to the rat like over t like for a few hours and just it should go down like right away to uh -huh. make it uh, to make sure it works. Is it hard to get the yeah. rat to stick its um, finger out for you? Uh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, they're not they're always always cooperative. We we have 
we have our methods. Okay, Edwin, do you have any acronyms for us? Yeah. Um, VSSC. This one we've talked about, so you can remember. VSSC. I don't remember anything. <laughs> Who are you people? Vessel secretions. I'm just naming mm-hmm. random. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Voltage sensitive. Oh. Mm-hmm. Sodium. Oh, right. uh-huh. oh. Uh, uh, c- channels. Yes. Hey, channels. we're good. At, we're good as a team. We babe. are good as we're, a team. We're, we're like, yeah. So you are yeah. paying attention. Great. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking about the TV. So. <laughs> okay. Well, that's uh, that's the end of our show. Thank you All so right, much well. for joining me, uh, Gabe and Igor and Thank Edwin. You. Thank you. Oh, this thanks. was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Nice. You just listened to Lab Talk with Laura on 91.1 FM, WMUA Amherst. My guests today were Igor Lezhansky of the Langer Lab at MIT and Edwin Morenzi from the Molecular and Cellular Biology Department here at UMass. My co-host was comedian Gabe Sklan. You can check out Lab Talk with Laura on Facebook, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Online hosting of Lab Talk with Laura is supported by the Emmerich Labs in the Polymer Science Department. The jingle at the beginning of our show was written and produced by Matt Woodland. Thank you so much for listening. Keep it locked in. 91.1 FM, WMUA Amherst.